Welcome to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose to create a better life for all residents of the region. We work in the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. Today, our guests are Jen Bursdale, the Executive Director of Missouri Healthcare for All, and Amelia Hinckley, uh, the new St. Louis organizer for Missouri Healthcare for All. And as you can guess, we'll be talking about healthcare in Missouri. More specifically, we'll recap uh, the campaign for Medicaid expansion, the state of the pandemic crisis in Missouri, and other healthcare issues facing Missourians. First of all, welcome and thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, super excited to be on my first ever podcast. This is very exciting. <laughs> Great. First of all, tell us about Mer uh, Missouri Healthcare for All. What is your mission? Sure. Uh, so Missouri Healthcare for All is Missouri's statewide, uh, grassroots-based, uh, nonpartisan, faith and community-oriented movement for quality, affordable health care for every Missourian. Uh, we were founded in 2007 and have been building since then with a team of 12 now working around the state, uh, as well as volunteers and board members uh, from all around the state working together toward this vision. It's hard to believe that it was only five months ago, but back in August, voters passed the ballot initiative known as Amendment 2, expanding Medicaid coverage in the state. Remind us of what Amendment 2 accomplished and why it was needed for all of Missouri and how the vote went. Sure. Uh, Amendment 2 is super exciting. We've been working toward Medicaid expansion for somewhere around a decade. Uh, so Amendment 2 expands Medicaid in Missouri to anybody earning up to 133% of the federal poverty level. Uh, so it's going to bring health care to somewhere north of 230,000 uninsured Missourians. Uh, because of the pandemic and the economy, we actually expect that number will likely be a little bit higher now. Uh, and it's, it's something we've had an opportunity as a state to do for quite some time. Our legislators were not willing to do it, even though uh, not only is it going to save lives and prevent suffering, it is also good for the state's economy. It's good for our hospitals throughout the state. Uh, and so finally, uh, organizations like MCU and people all across the state took matters into our own hands. And we got it qualified for the ballot and passed it on August 4th. So we're very excited and uh, looking forward to the day when people can start enrolling in health coverage. This is all good news, but we've been down this road again and again in Missouri where the legislature tends to do the opposite of how the people vote. So what's the situation with Medicaid expansion going into 2021 and what efforts are underway in Jefferson City that might hamper this expansion or what's the attitude on? You're right. Uh, we have unfortunately seen the Missouri legislature be more than happy to uh, overlook the will of the people. Uh, it's one reason that Medicaid expansion amendment two is a constitutional amendment. Uh, instead of just a law, it could have been passed as a law. Um, and as we know from uh, Amendment 3, which unfortunately passed this fall, uh, constitutional amendments are not absolutely, you know, fail safe. The legislature can put something on the ballot to overturn them. Uh, but it's a lot harder than if it's a law. You know, we've had times when the state passed a ballot initiative, and they simply went to Jeff City, you know, the next January, February, and just overturned it. Uh, so it helps that it is in the state constitution. Uh, it helps that it is good for the state in so many ways. 
Uh, we know that a lot of the opposition has been partisan, ideological, um, but actually unlike something like clean Missouri, uh, Medicaid expansion isn't really going to you know, decrease anybody's power. It's not anyone personally, any money. Uh, so we're hopeful that that will help uh, as well as, you know, we're in a pandemic. People need health care. Uh, so we're actually, we're hearing pretty encouraging things right now. Um, you know, we are certainly building an advocacy effort that can take on any challenges that arise. But at the moment, it looks like Governor Parson and his administration are planning to implement it. Uh, whether they're happy about it or not, they seem, you know, I think someone has said resigned to the fact that this is happening. Um, and, you know, the legislature is a little bit more split at the moment. We don't know of a super well-coordinated effort to just flat out block Medicaid expansion. Again, you know, we'll be working proactively, you know, to reach out to lawmakers as well as be ready to take any action needed if that happens. Uh, but part of what we will be looking for uh, our efforts to sabotage either Medicaid expansion or Medicaid in general during the legislative session. So it might not be we're going to try and block Medicaid expansion. It might be we're going to put new barriers on Medicaid that will have the effect of keeping people from accessing either the program or the healthcare that they need. So, you know, we, along with all of our partners, are ready to do anything we can to stop that kind of thing. The one issue that the legislature still has control over is how money is allocated. So we've, we've kind of seen that on some other issues in Missouri where something will pass, but just no money goes to it. And that has been the opposition's uh, big uh, talking point is that, well, if we do this, we're going to have to cut elsewhere. So what is the reality of that and, and how, are, how do we expect that to play out? So there are some folks who have different opinions on this because it is in the Constitution so constitutionally, we are mandated as a state to do that. Uh, there certainly are some Republican lawmakers who seem to think that if they just don't appropriate funds, it won't happen. Uh, it's not clear that they have the right under the Constitution at this point to do that. Uh, we have heard, and again, you know, we need to be vigilant and watch and make sure that it happens, but we have heard that Governor Parson plans to put it in his budget proposal. Uh, which will come out as part of his state of the state address on January 27th. So that's always the first part of the budgeting process. Uh, does not mean that the General Assembly will take his recommendations. In fact, the final budget, you know, rarely looks exactly like the governor's proposed budget, but it is a hopeful indication. And, you know, and we'll, we'll see where that goes. But here again, it's, this is not something that they have to raise taxes for or find the money for in Missouri. This is actually something that is going to be budget relieving uh, because we bring in so much money from the federal government and we offset so many places where we're spending money right now. So certainly we hope that the budget will be written in a way that this is clearly included. A bit easier, I think, than when we're trying to get them to fund something where they have to actually come up with the money. The money is there. And so, you know, we just need to make sure that we've got the authority to spend it. Okay. You had mentioned uh, the legislature maybe finding ways to change the rules of who qualifies for Medicaid. Um, and that reminds me of two years ago, uh, the revelation of 125,000 kids being kicked off of Medicaid. Um, has anything changed with that? Does, does the passage of Amendment 2 help? And what exactly can legislators do to control those those qualifications? Great questions and thank you for bringing this up. Um, of course, so many things have happened since then. I remember when 
you know, Governor Parson's biggest healthcare sin was allowing over 100,000 kids to lose their healthcare coverage. Um, and of course, since then, we've had a poorly managed pandemic that has, you know, <laughs> the sins stack up now. Uh, but we did have a two year period where kids were just continuously being kicked off Medicaid who were eligible the whole time. You know, they never should have lost their coverage. And it was a net loss of over 100,000 kids. They would get back on after weeks or months. So we actually don't know how many kids went through this experience of going to the doctor or going to the pharmacy and, you know, their parents being told like, oh, I'm sorry, he doesn't have coverage. Um, so we have had a temporary reprieve from that uh, because under the public health emergency, there is a moratorium on any disenrollments in Medicaid. So if you're enrolled in Medicaid right now, as long as we're in the public health emergency, um, the pandemic, uh, you can't be kicked off. So that is really good. Uh, they have not, of course, fixed the underlying problems, uh, which the legislature really didn't cause. They came from, you know, the Parson administration, Parson's appointees. Uh, and then, you know, they failed. They really just flat out refused to fix any of them. Uh, so we, we still need to be paying attention to those things. There are things that the legislature can do uh, to make things better. Some of it, though, is, you know, updating computer programs and, and things like that. So Medicaid expansion on its face doesn't necessarily fix those things. Um, however, I think because Medicaid expansion is leading them to work on things like the application process, uh, I think there's some hope and people are certainly trying to maybe make some of the improvements that need to be made um, while they're kind of making changes to the system already. So I'm hopeful uh, that we'll make progress, but it's certainly something we will be paying close attention to whenever that moratorium ends uh, to make sure we don't end up back where we were. So let's talk about COVID-19. Uh, what's our status in Missouri as of today, the day we're recording January 14th? Uh, I think in a word, the status is bad. Um, you know. The pandemic is not only continuing, it's, it's really raging out of control. We've now had more than 6,000 deaths in the state. Uh, we continue to set records in the state and across the country. Our hospitals are really at capacity. And, you know, it's bad. And everyone is weary of it, right? People who have taken it very seriously are weary of it. And of course, you know, we unfortunately, we still have people throughout the state who aren't taking it seriously, aren't doing the things they can do. Um, and while we should all be responsible and do our part to keep from getting our neighbors and our families sick, uh, I still lay a lot of the blame at the feet of our elected officials who from the beginning have hidden things, lied about things, you know, understated things, sowed confusion. Uh, if we had really clear leadership from President Trump and Governor Parson that everyone needs to be wearing a mask, I think even without a mandate, we would have more people doing it. Uh, not to mention, of course, states that have issued mandates and that are really trying to control this. Um, you know, so we, we've, we've had poor management of this at the state and federal level from the very beginning. Uh, it's reflected in, not, it's, and it's numbers, but it's not numbers, right? It's suffering, it's loss, it's mourning, uh, it's disruption to lives and families. And that is ongoing. Uh, as exciting as it is that, you know, we have people getting their first and now some even their second vaccination shots. Uh, so that has started mostly with healthcare professionals, uh, you know, especially if they work in like a hospital or work for a hospital system, uh, which is super exciting. And there's hope on the horizon 
Uh, and, you know, I mean, it's really, it's a, a miracle of science and the work that's been done, not just this year, but for decades, that they were able to get these effective, safe vaccines out so quickly. And once again, you know, we're behind schedule in Missouri and in the country. We haven't vaccinated as many people as we've said we should. Uh, there are people that do healthcare work who aren't able to get vaccines because they're not on staff at a hospital. You know, what we are really calling for, you know, is a big thing right now is that we need a statewide management strategy. Uh, and I think we all have moments where it feels like it's too late, but it's not too late to do better, right? This is going to be with us for a while. Uh, and it's time that we have a strategy as a state to slow it down, to make sure that we're saving as many lives as we can. It would make a really big difference. Yeah, I think about uh, a statistic that I saw recently. I was reading a news article from August, and at the time it listed that the Missouri death count for COVID was around 1,300 people. And right now, as Jen said, you know, we're at over, I checked today, and it was said, the official website says we've now had 6,201 people die of COVID in our state. Um, so between March and August, we had about 1,000. And then now between August and January, we've had 5,000 additional. And just, it feels as though, because the initial shock of this is all worn off, uh, that all of these people think that we can just continue on and we just have to live our lives um, when actually things are more dire than ever. And so I think people forget that sometimes because we've just become so normalized to this death and to this, uh, you know, this pandemic that we, uh, you know, just have to get back to our lives because so many people don't have the option not to. They don't have the option uh, to not go to work because they won't be able to afford their bills. And so, um, you know, I think just the reminder that actually things are worse than ever and things have not not gotten any better. Um, and so when we were doing all those great things in March and, and April and really taking those pauses and taking those precautions seriously, um, you know, that, that mentality should not go away. Um, and I think people forget that because we've just become so normalized to the, to the reality of what we're living through. And I think that's one of the things that, that I think all of us can relate to is, is that it is fatiguing. Um, you know, I think we all feel it, even, even those, you know, uh, you know, wearing masks and things like that. I, I get up every morning and I'm like, again? Um, so I think that's one of the things that we can look forward to as a connection with our, our fellow Missouri residents is that we know, <laughs> we all know, we all feel it. So, and then the other, other thing too, is the reminder that the stress and the sort of the ripple effect that this has uh, you, you, men, you mentioned about um, hospitals sort of being of being overrun um, of, of the ripple effect that has on other services that hospitals provide mm -hmm. that, um, you know, we're getting to places where pandemics have to, or where, where paramedics have to make decisions about where people go and what services are available for things that you wouldn't think twice about uh, a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, and those are real, those are real effects for everyone. And I think, you know, I think Amelia spoke really powerfully about, you know, the fatigue. Uh, I don't, I actually don't think it's possible and it wouldn't be healthy if it were possible for us to maintain the level of sort of emotional intensity that we had when this started. At the same time, you know, if it's your family member who's sick or dying, you know, I promise that's as intense now as it was last April. Um, but it, it really, as you said, Kevin, it, it affects our whole healthcare system. If the hospital full, they're full, whether you have COVID-19 or a heart attack. Uh, you know, I have a friend who has cancer, was going to the hospital for cancer infusions. They switched her to a less effective oral cancer drug so that she wouldn't have to come into the hospital, partly as a precaution for her. I think partly as a system factor. 
Uh, I have another friend who just, you know, had a baby through the hardest pregnancy I have ever heard of uh, and got discharged in a condition that I, I frankly can't believe that they're discharging people. Um, you know, and, and there's all kinds of things about our healthcare system that some of that might have happened otherwise, but it's hard not to wonder, you know, what kind of role that plays. Not, the, not to mention the fact that, you know, she was in the hospital for weeks and thankfully her husband could visit her, but not her parents, you know, not her support system. And it's just, we, it shouldn't have gotten this bad. You know, we, last spring when people really sacrificed by choice or not, you know, we were home. That could have been the time that our leaders in the state really got things together and figured things out. And, you know, instead of rushing to reopen bars, you know, they could have been prioritizing schools and really getting systems in place, but they squandered that. You know, so, I mean, in some ways, I feel like a lot of us suffered for nothing in the spring because we, you know, we ended up worse than we started off. It, it strikes me that that, that that politically could have been the easiest decision that any leader could have made, of prioritizing folks' health over anything else. And by setting the standards, setting the tone um, for even those who might have been hesitant at first, uh, it would have made a big difference. And um, heading into an election year, it would have been easy for anybody, any color state across the country. If you're doing the things for your, your constituents to keep them healthy, that's a winning issue. So, Yeah, I mean, and I think it's just one of many, many, many signs of how broken our democracy and our society have really gotten, that that wasn't a no-brainer. You know, that we had a president who, you know, very clearly said, I'd rather get reelected than keep people alive and safe. Uh, and he's a terrible president. He's a terrible person. I know I'm looking forward to him not being president, uh, but we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that he was the start of this situation or that it will end when he leaves. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that it was a question at all for governors, you know, how seriously do we take a deadly pandem pandemic uh, is, how do, you know, the fact that we got to the point where that was even a choice that governors might say like, yeah, I think I don't want to deal with this. Uh, it, it's really, it's stunning. So let's move on to uh, a little bit of talk about the vaccine. The vaccine. Uh, so what's the status of distribution within Missouri? Uh, availability seems particularly slow in the St. Louis area. So the state does have a really detailed uh, vaccination plan uh, with phases. Uh, so that's that's the good news. We are in phase 1A right now, which prioritizes healthcare workers um, and elders, and I think staff also in long-term care facilities, which of course are two, uh, two types of locations that really, really need the vaccine. Uh, I do understand that vaccination has been going slower than planned. I also understand that, you know, I haven't heard as much about the long-term care facilities, but certainly that there are healthcare workers who are declining the shot, uh, which is, I think, disappointing and also not that surprising, again, given kind of the disinformation, you know, and frankly, lies that we've been fed by some of our leaders. Um, you know, I know people who are very pro-vaccine, but when we had Trump saying, like, you're going to have the vaccine right before the election, uh, understandably, that made them think like, you know, like, can I trust this? So, you know, I know folks that are like, I think I'll feel better when Biden is in office, uh, you know, or when they stop talking about, well, do we think it would be effective if we just gave people a half dose? Uh, 
you know, from a science perspective, I get that's what they should be doing, right? To make sure we can protect as many people as possible. I think for the lay person, it sounds like they really don't know what they're doing. Uh, but certainly a lot of healthcare workers have been getting vaccinated. I've spoken to some of them, you know, they've had minimal side effects, you know, maybe they didn't feel well for a day, but that's your immune system working. It's not being sick. Um, and so one B is coming and they're going to start looking at other essential workers, uh, which is good. I think they're going to start working, looking at uh, elders who don't live in long-term care facilities, people with health conditions that are known to increase their chance of getting really sick. Um, timelines are tricky because we're behind, but also, you know, if we have a bunch of people in 1A that aren't ready to get the vaccine yet, they may be moving on to other groups sooner. Um, some exciting developments, I think, are that St. Louis County and city, and I think also some surrounding counties, uh, just recently put up forms on their websites where you can go sort of register. Uh, I want to get the vaccine. Here's my information. Here's my contact info. You know, there's a little checklist. Do you have any of these conditions? Uh, so people that are looking forward to getting vaccinated, you know, there's a step you can take, uh, which is exciting. And I think it does, for me, it, it does feel like there's hope on the horizon. We shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that, you know, come March, everyone is going to be vaccinated and we can throw our masks away. You know, we're going to be wearing masks and social distancing for a while. Um, but we are going to start decreasing risks and, you know, getting to a point where maybe there's a small group that's all been vaccinated you know, and has been fairly careful and could get together. Uh, so there's hope, at, you know, there's hope, there's light coming, uh, you know, and I know I personally am trying to use that to drive me, like, when you're at the end of a long run, right? It's just a little bit more. I'm going to actually, like, put a little bit more into this and make sure that I do my very best at the end. Uh, because otherwise it's tempting to say, like, eh, you know, I, let's just get a couple of friends together. It's been so long or like, you know, you know, forget it. We're going to drive up to Chicago and see my mom. I really miss her. Um, but we're all saying, you know, this is, we're not doing this for the next five years, right? We have to do it for a little longer. Um, and it's going to be really sweet when we're able to do it. Yeah. And one thing I would recommend, you know, as Jen said, now that the city and county have registration out for people to sign up is to sign up. And uh, so I did it myself yesterday and there's a little, notice at the end that you can sign up for text alerts from the city, um, you know, and so there was a number to text and then you can get those. So I would recommend anyone to do that. So that way you are um, getting your information directly from the source. You're getting it directly from our governing agencies um, because I think, you know, everyone can agree that one of the problems inherent in this whole year that we've been through is just the lack of transparency. Um, you know, I think about all the people that I see posting on Facebook asking where to get tested and what the different qualifications are to get tested at different places. Is it free? Does it cost money? You know, there's just been so much confusion and so little transparency um, that getting information as quickly as possible and as directly as possible from the source, I think is going to be the most important because, you know, even I get confused sometimes. And this is like my line of work, you know, they haven't made it easy for us to understand what's going on. They haven't been transparent. And we understand it's it's a difficult process and a difficult decision, but the more transparent, the more we're going to trust in the system because we'll get to see it as it evolves. Um, so I would say for everyone, sign up for those alerts, you know, ask questions, talk to your people, um, make sure that everyone knows what's going on because it is confusing and we want people to have as much information as possible. Um, I do want to mention, I forgot before to say that we are in the process of putting links to the various registration forms onto our COVID website, which is missouricovidaction.org. There's a blog 
And so we're going to be putting that up there and then posting, you know, links to that blog post on Facebook and Twitter, trying to do our part to get the word out. So I just want to reiterate that. So even even folks who are in a low risk or younger category should go ahead and sign up so that you're on the list, you will get the information when your turn comes. Is that correct? Yeah. And the, you know, like I said, I did it the other day. And so it asks you all these questions. Are you in these different groups? Are you a healthcare worker? Do you have these um, pre, you know, these existing conditions that would put you at higher risk? Um, so then I think that that's going to also help them determine, well, actually how many people are in these different groups. So I think also the more of us that fill it out, the better idea, um, you know, our, you know, our people in charge have of, okay, this is actually the numbers of how many people fall into these groups. This is them reporting. And then, you know, if they have your information, they'll be able to contact you more directly because we know that the phases that come next are going to be harder because whereas before, healthcare workers at a hospital were getting it and they could get it through their employer. As we become more diffuse in getting the vaccine out, it's going to be more challenging. So I think giving your information, letting them know I want this, this is where I stand in terms of my health uh, priorities and needs is going to be the, the best way to help this move along as quickly as possible. Let's turn to healthcare in general in Missouri. Uh, so whether, what other issues are on the horizon in Missouri? What are you guys working on? What's coming up in the legislature this year? Because all the bills have been filed in, the, in, in a hurried fashion in the last couple of weeks. So what do we see coming down, <laughs> down the line? So The big focus right now, it's Medicaid expansion. Um, it's COVID-19. Um, one really specific thing that we're about to start calling for uh, is safe access to the democratic process. Uh, you know, we, we are not encouraging anybody to physically go to the Capitol right now. Uh, and we still need Missourians and Missouri voters to have a voice in how policy gets made. So the General Assembly has long had a rule that you have to be there in person to testify at a committee hearing uh, until they wanted Rudy Giuliani to speak about the election. So if Rudy Giuliani can give testimony over Zoom at a committee hearing. Uh, it certainly seems that a Missouri voter living in, you know, Kansas City or Moberly or Joplin uh, should have the right to do the same. So, you know, we will be we'll be working on that. Uh, always looking, you know, to defend protections that we have, programs that we had. Um, looking, you know, defending against budget cuts, things like that. Uh, we have been making a multi-year push to ban surprise medical bills in Missouri. Uh, which are bills that people get when, you know, usually when they end up getting out of network care that they had no way to avoid. Uh, and there's a COVID-19 angle there too, right? You could, if you're sick, again, with COVID-19 or something else, the, the way our hospitals are full right now, you could easily get transferred to an out of network hospital. You know, you have no say over it. And now suddenly you're subject to a big bill. So we'll be continuing to push for that uh, continuing to, you know, look at something we haven't really mentioned a lot today, but, uh, you know, we have huge racial disparities in health and health care um, in COVID-19 in who gets attacked by, you know, Medicaid cuts and programs and things like that, uh, you know, all the way up to like how people are treated in the hospital. So that's a long-term project, but we're certainly working on that. Uh, and then, you know, amidst all of that, we also have to be honest about the fact that we can implement Medicaid expansion perfectly, right? We can ban surprise medical bills. We can do all of these short-term things. We're still not going to have healthcare for everybody. We're still going to have this hodgepodge, broken, you know, ineffective, inefficient system. And so we also need to really be building 
momentum and awareness that it's possible to have a better healthcare system. We need a new healthcare system that really covers everybody. Uh, and that's the long-term vision. And so we're gonna be building around that also. Uh, so people know, you know, it's possible for something to be different and for something to be better. I mean, you know, I think obviously we know that most statewide or most healthcare decisions are statewide sort of efforts, right? Healthcare happens at really the state and the federal level. Um, and so that's where our focus is. But I think, you know, one thing that I'm excited to kind of explore as I get started in this position is, you know, we know that there's things that we can do in places like St. Louis and Kansas City that might be able to move the ball a little bit further um, in terms of like, for example, protections uh, for, for all people in healthcare, right? Non-discrimination ordinances uh, or things like that, that, you know, might be able to move in a St. Louis context, but might not be able to move in a Missouri context. So I think um, an exciting thing to kind of explore is like, where are the opportunities to experiment, to try new things, to push the ball forward in the St. Louis context um, that then hopefully, you know, when people see St. Louis doing these great things and, and, you know, protecting lots of people and getting them healthcare coverage, that then we could expand to the state. So, you know, I don't know that we know exactly what that looks like, but I think that's definitely a goal of mine. And I think of Jen's and everyone's um, is just, yeah, we got to get healthcare for everyone. And so we're going to try and do that at all different levels all the time. <laughs> Amelia, you, you've recently been hired as the St. Louis organizer, what will be your roles? What are you looking forward to doing? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, really my role is just to be the the connection person for everyone in the St. Louis area, right? St. Louis City, County, St. Charles. Um, you know, if you have an idea, if you have a story to tell, like I'm the person that I, I want you to come to and say, okay, this is, you know, how we get connected with Missouri Healthcare for All. And so, um, you know, I'm excited to work on building a really strong coalition of groups, of voters, of individuals, uh, again, at all different levels to mobilize on a city and on a state level. Um, and so, you know, I think the beauty of St. Louis is there's so much happening, but that can also be really challenging because there is so much happening. And so people don't know where to start. People don't know where to go. Um, there's so many different issues to tackle. And so I think, uh, you know, a big focus is to really bring all of the kind of St. Louis healthcare focused organizations all on the same page and say, how do we work in tandem? How do we work collectively uh, to achieve our goals? And so, um, you know, I'm the person that is just always going to be there for all of that. You know, we have a great story bank process um, where we're always looking to collect stories of individuals through the healthcare system, um, you know, stories about people who will be covered under the new Medicaid expansion, stories of uh, people living with disabilities, um, stories of people who are uninsured and don't, uh, you know, or can't afford things like the Affordable Care Act's, uh, you know, open market and things like that. So we want to hear all those stories because that helps inform us and in where do we go next? It helps us when we go to our legislators and we say, listen, this is an actual person who lives in your district. This is a human being who's experiencing this. What are you going to do about it? So, um, you know, I'm the point person when you have a story to tell. I want to talk to you. I want to hear your story um, and help you get plugged in because ultimately organizing is just showing people that they have the power to make change. So I'm not going to fix all of healthcare on my own. Um, I'm here to help empower the people of St. Louis to make sure that they can see the kinds of changes that they want. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited just to see like where we can go from that. I'm excited to harness all of this energy. Um, and so if people have ideas and they say, this is a healthcare issue I really want to work on, come talk to me. Let's talk about it. Let's see how we make it happen. Um, you know, there's no, there's no limit. Uh, in this. I think any and all ideas are welcome and valuable. Um, and so, yeah, it's just about really building a, a powerful St. Louis network uh, to make change happen in all different sorts of areas. 
That's one of the things we we strongly believe in at MCU too is is telling your own story and reframing that narrative, um, uh, which which gives people who feel powerless power over their own lives and that they can advocate for themselves. Uh, we do that quite a bit with our our uh, criminal justice ad- advocacy, and and that is a, something that that really makes a difference for people and and really builds that relationship uh, for advocacy uh, down the road. Yeah, I had a really great meeting actually yesterday with this group called Paraquad. Um, that's obviously a big disability advocacy group in the St. Louis area. And we were just talking about, you know, how uh, we view disability in such a narrow lens, right? When we think of what a disabled person is, we, you know, a lot of people probably have just one narrow idea of, oh, it's someone in a wheelchair, right? And so when we legislate, then that's all they think about. But actually, uh, there's such a wide ranging world of disabilities that all have different needs that need to be met. And so the only way that we figure out what those are and can advocate uh, accordingly is by having people tell their stories, by having people explain like, this is actually what it's like to live in my shoes. This is what it's like uh, to live with the disability that I do. And then we can get the full the full spectrum of all those experiences. And then we can make sure that any legislative priorities embody that uh, and no one's getting left out. So yeah, I think storytelling and story banking is a huge aspect of our mission, of our work. Um, and so, you know, in St. Louis, let's just start telling the stories. Let's get them out there. If folks do have stories to tell, we've got a form on our website at uh, mohealthcareforall.org, or you can really reach out to any member of our staff. Um, I have been in advocacy now for over 20 years, hard to believe. Um, And I think all grassroots contact with legislators is important and valuable. Uh, And often it kind of feels like you're planting a seed, right? You know, very rarely, I think in any circumstances, somebody come up to you and say like, you know, you're wrong about something. And you're like, you're right. Thank you for telling me. I've changed my mind today. You know, it's, I think it's often more of a process where you hear from enough people and you start to think differently about something. Uh, the exception to that, the, really the only exception that I think I've seen is when somebody hears from a real person who's affected by an issue. It is the only time I have ever seen someone really completely reverse their position on an issue uh, because it is so powerful. Uh, to, to be looking at or talking to someone who says, like, this is what happened to me. Uh, and so, you know, those stories really are powerful. Uh, not to mention, you know, people carry a lot, they carry these stories. We all carry our own stories, and sometimes they're heavy. Uh, and actually telling it to someone who cares and using your story to help drive change uh, can, I think, feel a whole lot better than just kind of sitting with it by yourself. Okay, great. So this brings me to my final question, which is the call to action. Yes. So what, what can our listeners do to take action, to join your efforts, uh, give any, any website or any, um, you know, media connections you'd like to give at this point? You know, the first thing is that I'm really trying to get connected with folks um, and hear about their individual projects, ideas, stories, like I said. So, um, you know, definitely feel free to reach out. My email is amelia at mohealthcareforall.org. So I can also have that written out. I know it's kind of a mouthful, but it's E-M-I-L-I-A at mohealthcareforall.org. It's a lot longer on the back end than on the front end. (laughs) Um, so send me an email and let's set up a time to talk. I mean, I think that's action step number one. Organizing is relationship buildings. And so I want to have relationships with everyone who cares about these issues. Um, you know, I think the second thing, like Jen said, is, you know, you can go to our website, um, you know, do things like liking our Facebook and all of the the normal sort of social media calls, because uh, 
you know, I think, like we said, we have to see what's going to come at us from a Medicaid expansion perspective, um, and then, you know, respond accordingly. Um, and so we need people to be able to know what's happening as it's happening. And so, you know, the next step might be talking to specific legislators. And so, you know, we need to know, like, are you in their district? Are you, um, you know, do you have an issue that's related to this that you need to talk about? So, um, you know, emailing me to get involved is, I think, the first step. And also, I just want emails. I want to get to know people. Um, going to our website and doing things like filling out the form to tell stories and whatnot is going to be important. And, um, you know, we have some other projects, I think, that are going to be coming out soon that are really exciting. And so following things like our Facebook is going to be the way to find out about those as quickly as possible. Um, and then always just call your legislature. That's the that's the biggest action step always, right? Call your representatives, your rep, your senator, your governor, uh, your congressional representative, your our state senator, um, and let them know what you want. That's always the call to action. Um, you know, they need to hear from us. They represent us. And so tell them what you want. Tell them you want a statewide COVID policy. Tell them you want mass ma mandates. Tell them you want more transparency around a vaccine rollout plan. Um, so always use your voice, call them, email them, write them a letter, fax them, you know, as much as possible. The more they hear from us, the less they can ignore what we're saying. And so that's always a step that you can take anytime, any day on any issue. And I want to thank our guest today, Jen Burstale, the Executive Director of Missouri Healthcare for All, and Amelia Hinckley, the new St. Louis organizer for Missouri Healthcare for All. To learn more about MCU, go to the Metropolitan Congregations United website at mcustlewis.org. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events and how you can become involved. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Stay healthy and tune in again next time. And thank you for listening.